All right, I think we're recording here. Well, good morning, church. Great to be with you guys this morning. My name is Kevin Reichley. I'm one of the elders here at Wayside. And this morning, I get the privilege of preaching from the book of Acts, which we're, I think we're two chapters into this thing, but it's been action-packed so far, and it's just really exciting. So um, this morning, we are going to celebrate the beauty of Christian community in a passage that paints this, this really vivid and encouraging portrait of the first church plant ever, the first church plant ever. So uh, grab your Bibles, your Bible apps, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we'll be there in just a second. But just to catch anybody up uh, to this point, we've seen Pentecost where the Holy Spirit came upon the believers who were gathered in Jerusalem uh, after Jesus's resurrection and after he rose to be, to return to the Father And we just saw this. Ben walked us through. Peter gave us this just really clear and powerful presentation of the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus. And 3,000 people have responded in faith and baptism. So 3,000 people, which is really cool. Um, Again, really action-packed, exciting stuff going on here. But think about this. The church has grown from 120 followers of Jesus to 3,120 followers of Jesus. So in my mind, I'm just picturing all these people sort of gathered around, staring at each other and kind of just going, okay, like now what, right? Now what? So we're going to unpack the now what today and the importance and the beauty of the local church. So on that note, as I was starting to put this sermon together, it was really, really encouraging to me. It was really fun to look back and think through our first real experience in a local church. So on July 15th, 2007, Amanda and I walked into a small church plant. Some of you guys know our story. Our friend, our good friend Rachel, who's not here today, uh, she had invited us and and we're finally able to make it on this Sunday to this small little church plant. And uh, we had absolutely no expectations. We had no idea what we were walking into. And I've referenced this in a couple sermons before, but we both experienced church like we had never experienced church before. And I'm actually going to go into a little bit of detail today because I think it will help uh, set up what we're talking about and give some context for how a local modern church can and should honor its people and honor God. Okay, so I think we have a picture of this. We drove up to uh, O. Henry Middle School. O. Henry Middle School. We walked into a cafeteria pretty similar to this with about 30 people. About 30 people. So what we had noticed immediately was the people were so excited to be there. They were so happy to be talking with one another and just catching up. Nobody was sitting around, kind of in their seats by themselves, waiting for that service to start. Um, There weren't any fancy drapes covering up the murals. I vividly remember this. They had murals of uh, cafeteria food up on the wall. So it was like bowls of spaghetti and oranges and apples. Uh, there was no drapes covering up any of, that, any of that stuff. So you know what? It really felt, it felt authentic. It felt simple. It felt quaint. And you know what? It felt super intimidating. <laughs> it felt super intimidating, at least for me. As you guys know, Amanda is the extrovert between us. But as soon as we walked in, man, I can't describe it, but these people were just so glad to come up and meet us, introduce themselves. And it was, it was as if they already knew who we were. And we would later come to find out that many of these people that came and introduced themselves to us had been praying for us way before we ever stepped foot into that church. And I just vividly remember it was such a different picture of church 
than I had grown up knowing or I thought even existed, even existed. And looking back, it was clear that God was moving on that day in July of 2007. And the only reason I know the exact date, July 15, 2007, is because I have an email follow-up from the pastor just telling us how excited he was that we were there that day and inviting us to his home to get to know him better, him and his wife better. And so we ended up in his living room a couple of months later, sharing our stories. And just like the new believers in Jerusalem, after a few months, we came to faith and we were got kind of going, now what? Now what? Right? Um, and what we experienced over the, couple, the next couple of years uh, was the spirit at work, at least in us and me and Amanda. We witnessed people sharing and fighting sin together. We fought alongside them. Um, I was scooped up by four guys to just start looking at the Bible and who Jesus was. And I can't make this up. Here's, here's the name of the four guys that scooped me up. Peter, Paul, Andrew, and John. <laughs> so the deck was certainly stacked, right? The deck was certainly stacked. But those guys loved me so well as I asked questions, as I sought truth in the scriptures. And I remember Amanda asking me, she's like, you're seriously going to read the Bible with those guys at six in the morning at Kirby Lane that you just met? And I was like, yeah, yes, I am going to do that. Um, but she couldn't believe it, but God was up to something. We both ended up getting baptized in the spring of 2009 to publicly proclaim our commitment to Christ. And I also remember when we were struggling to get pregnant, how this community rallied around us in prayer and in mourning. Um, we celebrated baptisms and births with high praise to God. We learned the truth of who God was through studying his word. We continued to fight sin with our community. And we learned to love our neighbors and the nations as God brought others alongside that church. Now, I say all these things uh, today because today we're going to be looking at the first church that was ever planted and what made it so special and unique. And here's a spoiler alert for everybody. And God's kindness, it's many of the things that we saw in this church plant when we first came to faith. And in God's kindness, it's many of the same things that we see here at Wayside that make it so special too. Such, it's, it's been a good few weeks for me of, of, of God's goodness and provision, a great reminder of those things in our lives. Friends, genuine biblical community is such a gift from God. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, was a, some of you guys know Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German pastor, German theologian during World War II. He sought to unite the Christian church against the Nazi party. And he wrote, he wrote a book called Life Together. I, I would highly recommend it. It's about 100 pages, so short read. He wrote a book called Life Together uh, while he was teaching at an underground seminary. Okay, so get this in your mind. He's, he's kind of underground hiding, teaching, trying to unite the Christian church against the Nazi party. He wrote a book called Life Together about community. And he had this wonderful quote in it. He said, how inexhaustible are the riches that open up for those who by God's will are privileged to live in daily fellowship of life with other Christians. I love that quote. Brothers and sisters, we are certainly blessed to be in such a wonderful community together. But when it comes to biblical community, here's a couple things. There's a few ways that we can get hung up. Like when we, like when we first walked into our first church experience, Sometimes we don't even know what to expect, right? We had no expectations, no idea what was going on. And uh, sometimes we don't know the blessings we're missing out on by being in relationship with others and a local church body. So in cases like that, 
Here's a couple things that can sort of rise to the top of our list of things we're looking for. Comfort, convenience, anonymity, entertainment value, right? So, so some of those things can pop to the top of the list and sometimes overshadow the true goodness of the biblical community that we'll talk about today. Other times, and I'm guilty of this, we focus on the things we wish were better or that we don't have. And sometimes we take for granted the blessings we enjoy or miss the joy that we have with a Christ-centered Christian community that is doing life together, that is on mission together. And there's another great Bonhoeffer quote that's going to pop up here. Um, he goes on to say this. He says, If we do not give thanks daily for the Christian fellowship in which we have been placed, even where there is no great experience, no discoverable riches, but much weakness, small faith, and difficulty, if on the contrary we only keep complaining to God that everything is so paltry and petty, so far from what we expected, then we hinder God from letting our fellowship grow according to the measure and riches which are there for us all in Jesus Christ. So here's the point I want us to anchor our time on today. We are so blessed to have this thriving Christian community. It's such a gift. And a thriving Christian community is essential for a thriving Christian life. A thriving Christian community is essential for a thriving Christian life. And today, we're going to look at what makes a community thrive for God's glory. So we're going to take a look at our passage in light of our, our core values here at Wayside. So who... Uh, who could tell me the core values of Wayside? I don't see anybody wearing the t-shirt today. Oh, I, oh Bent, Bent. Okay, Will, Will, what are, the, what are the core values of Wayside? Biblical, purposeful, relational. Great job, Will. Biblical, relational, and purposeful, okay? And we're going to see a lot of parallels between our core values and the first church as we walk through the passage today. And and as you guys know, we love alliteration around here too. So uh, we are going to uh, be showing, walking through this as well, we'll see the four S's of a thriving Christian community. So uh, a thriving Christian, Christian community studies the Word of God together. It supports one another. It shouts and it spreads the gospel. It shouts praises to God and spreads the gospel, okay? So we're just going to jump in. First, a thriving Christian community is biblical. Biblical, just what Will said. We're going to flash this up here, but here's, here's, what, uh, here's what that means at Wayside for us. Our biblical, biblical value is stated this way, living out God's word. We want everything we do at Wayside to be grounded in and founded upon God's word. This certainly goes for our preaching and teaching, but also for everything that happens both on Sunday mornings and throughout the week. Okay, that's our biblical value. So the first S, the first S, a thriving Christian community studies the word of God together. So in our passage, verse 42 immediately says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So these new believers were devoted to God's word, to right teaching and doctrine, to being taught, to growing, to maturing, and to being led by the apostles. Now the apostles, what would they have been sharing? Well, they would have been sharing about the resurrection, they would have been sharing about the Old Testament scriptures. They would have certainly been sharing about their personal experiences uh, with Jesus' ministry and his teaching. Now, it's important to note that, that the teaching wasn't just sharing of all this information, but it was teaching about how to live in light of the gospel. Now, there's probably a reason that this aspect, studying the word of God, 
uh, was listed first. It was and it is vitally important to us and to our walk as Christians. So as a community of, of believers, we need to be devoted to studying the Word of God, to correct teaching and doctrine, to growing and maturing in the Scriptures, and how that impacts the way we live. At the heart of the church, at the heart of Wayside, at the heart of every church, is the truth of the gospel. And pay attention to the language used here. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And other translations actually said that they were devoting themselves. They were devoting themselves. So this, this idea has, this has the idea of persisting in or persevering in something. And if we're being honest, uh, sometimes that's how we, it feels to get into the word consistently, persisting, persevering, right? We have to fight for the time. We have to fight for the energy. We have to fight for the attention to make this a priority. So, so on that note, some of you have, have probably heard the, the rock, pebbles, and sand story. Has anybody heard the rock, pebbles, and sand story before? One, two, a few people. Okay, good. All right, we're going to go through it. So a few of you have heard this before, but it goes like this. Uh, a philosophy professor once stood up in front of a class like this with a large empty jar. I think we're going to pop some of these up. Okay, he threw a bunch of big rocks into that jar, and he asked the students, is this jar full? The student said, yeah, the, the jar's full. Okay, well, then the, then the professor uh, went and added some small pebbles, kind of shook up the jar, and the, the pebbles kind of worked their way between the rocks. He asked the class if the jar was full. The, cl the class said, yeah, the jar's full. He then took some sand, put the sand in the jar, and filled it to the top. And then everybody agreed, okay, the, the jar is full at this point. Um, well, then he went on to explain that the items in the jar represented our responsibilities and our priorities. Okay, the rocks, the rocks, the big rocks represent our most important responsibilities and priorities in our life. Those are the things that matter. Those are the things that we can't live without. Uh, then he put the pebbles. The pebbles represent uh, the things in our life that matter but that we could do without. These are the things that come and go and aren't essential to our overall well-being. And finally, the sand represents the filler things, the filler things in our life. These things don't mean much to our life, and actually they could be a distraction from what's really important or our main priorities. Now, if the pebbles and the sand were lost, right, if the pebbles and sand were lost, the jar would still be full, and our life would still have meaning and purpose. But here's the punchline. If we start... If we start with the sand and the pebbles, we won't have room for the rocks. If we start with the sand and the pebbles, we won't have room for the rocks. The rocks are our priorities. The lesson is that it's critical to identify the important things in our life and to set aside the time that we need to focus on those things. Friends, time in the Word, time studying the Word together is a rock. Time in the Word is a rock, okay? We need to treat it like the rock that it is. And it's essential to our growth as believers, and it's essential to our thriving as a church community. So a couple applications for this first part. If you aren't prioritizing time in God's Word, please make a plan to do that. You can set a reminder. You can block off time on your calendar. And it's important to acknowledge this, that, that we may not understand some of the things that we read, and we may end up with all kinds of questions. That's great. That's great. Let's share our thoughts. Let's share our questions together. And a great place to do that is in our men's and women's discipleship groups and Bible studies. Remember the passage. It says they. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The study of God's word has been communal throughout history. 
So if you haven't joined a discipleship group or a Bible study, it's a perfect way to get into God's Word with others from our church body. So I can't overemphasize the importance of this for our growth and, and maturity as Christians. And finally, if you haven't filled out the spiritual growth survey, we'd love, uh, we'd love to know how to come alongside you, not just to increase your knowledge of the Bible, but also to help you live biblically by, by obeying it. Okay? So, so a thriving Christian community is biblical and studies and obeys the Word of God together. Next, a thriving Christian community is relational. So we're going to pop up our relational core value here, and it says this, living as God's people, we believe that the Bible describes what Christian communities should look like, and we also think that many Christians aren't experiencing such community. Our hope is that the people of Wayside would experience and live out the biblical commands to love one another, carry each other's burdens, encourage and pray for one another. So the second S, a thriving Christian community supports each other. So we're going to take a, uh, take a look at a couple different aspects of this. So first in verse 42, it says they devoted themselves to fellowship. So, well, what's fellowship? We hear that word a lot, right? It's, it's kind of a Christian buzzword, fellowship. And uh, you may even remember they had these fellowship halls back in the day. Like there was this designated place you had to go to have fellowship. I don't know. It cracks me up thinking about these fellowship halls. Um, but it comes, from the, it, it comes from the Greek word koinonia, koinonia, which you probably heard before, which translated means communion, contribution, sharing, and partnership, okay? Fellowship means being devoted to community. It means life together. It means loving, supporting, and encouraging one another as the people and the family of God. It means we gather with the goal to stimulate one another to spiritual growth. Now, in verse 42, we also see that it says their fellowship involved breaking of bread, now, there's some debate as to whether this is referencing the Lord's Supper or just gathering, gathering for meals. From what I read, I believe it's both. Okay, so if you go and kind of look at 1 Corinthians 11, it seems to suggest that the Lord's Supper was observed in the context of ordinary mealtime. Later in verse 46, we see they broke bread in their homes and ate together. So fellowship certainly involved sharing intimate meals together. And the beautiful thing is that our earthly table fellowship points us toward our final table fellowship in the kingdom of God. We also see they were devoted to prayer. Now, in some translations, you see the, the article the before prayers, kind of suggesting a more formal prayer and worship. But this could also reference simply coming together for informal prayer as well. Prayer was a tremendous priority for the early church, and it should be for us as well. Prayer is, is another rock. If we're thinking back to those big rocks in the illustration, Prayer is another rock from that earlier illustration. Gene Getz, he's a pastor, writer, and professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, and he had this great quote about prayer in a book he wrote called Old Paths, New Power. I stumbled upon this quote, and it says this. It says, The hallmark of Western civilization has been rugged individualism. Because of our philosophy of life, we are used to the personal pronouns I and my and me. We have not been taught to think in terms of we and our and us. Consequently, we individualize many references to corporate experience in the New Testament, thus often emphasizing personal prayer. The facts are that more is said in the book of Acts and the epistles about corporate prayer, corporate learning of biblical truth, corporate evangelism, and corporate Christian maturity and growth than about the personal aspects 
of these Christian disciplines. Don't misunderstand, both are intricately related, but the personal dimensions of Christianity are difficult to maintain and practice consistently unless they grow out of a proper corporate experience on a regular basis. So that's a really neat quote, just talking about the importance of doing these things in a corporate setting. Not, and so it's vital that we prioritize corporate prayer, corporate learning, corporate evangelism, corporate growth, not at the detriment of doing these things on a personal level, but in addition to. Praying together as a church is an important aspect of fellowship and a thriving Christian community. And how, how did it say that fellowship is done? If we see verse 46 again, it says, it's done day by day, day by day. There's this consistency to fellowship. It's not about Sunday morning attendance, but about building these life rhythms together. It's about being a family. It's about being involved in the daily lives of one another, and that only happens with consistency. So if we continue in our relational value as a community that supports each other, we also need to be devoted to meeting each other's needs. And we see this in verses 44 and 45. It'll pop up here. It says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, important to note that the sharing of material things here does not imply socialism or communism, but rather a voluntary, caring response to need. Also important to note that it says they were selling possessions and distributing. So the sharing was happening again and again, over and over. And now some, you have to, have to take yourself into the picture here. Some of these believers surely had considerable needs. If you think about the apostles, the apostles left boats and livelihoods to follow Jesus. 3,000 people have just come to faith. So you have to imagine that some of these people were sick or dying or had, were suffering hardship. So this is vitally important. We see the idea of meeting each other's needs show up later in, in Acts, in Acts 4.32, and it says this, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Now the point being that we should be a sharing body in which, get this, nobody goes without, goes without while others have more than enough. Nobody goes without while others have more than enough. So this was a fun exercise. I went back and uh, looked on Slack at how many meal trains we had put together over the last year. Okay, 12, 12 meal trains. Good job, everybody. Um, so more than one per month. So thanks to Rachel and Elena for putting most of those together. I think we've done well over a dozen moves. And uh, service Sunday projects, diaper drives, collecting furniture for refugees, how we were able to bless many people in our body, outside of our body with the benevolence funds this year. So it's been super encouraging to see how our body rallies to meet the needs of others and, but these are just the physical needs. I'm actually even more impressed with how we have loved and supported each other by helping meet emotional and spiritual needs. I love that we are a church that isn't afraid to wade into the hard, into the broken, into the messy. That's what genuine Christian community looks like. And just like the new believers, doing this again and again together is vital because a thriving Christian community supports each other well, and a thriving Christian community is essential for a thriving Christian life. Okay, on to the third S. So, so far we've got, we've got study and support. The third S. As a relational church, we also want to shout together. Shout together. We want to be devoted to praising God with one another. 
So if we look at verse 43, we see this, we see this in, uh, we see, and awe came upon every soul. Awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Okay? So this sense of awe, even from the apostles, the apostles were doing this. They even had a sense of awe as they were doing these things. Uh, they were doing, it points to a reverence for God who was worthy of praise. And if we look again at verses 46 and 47, we see that they were meeting together in the temple courts. They were breaking bread in their homes daily, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. Now, these are all acts of worship to God, having reverence for God for the many signs and wonders, attending temple together to pray and to sing songs to God, breaking bread with brothers and sisters with joy and thankfulness in their hearts. It was all about worship and praise for this community of believers, and we get the joy of being a church that does these things because our God is worthy of praise. So I was actually thinking about a couple of ways that we uniquely praise God and shout praises to God together as a church. So I love the way that we do say-sos on our Wayside anniversary to kind of publicly acknowledge the goodness of God, to remember all that he has done in and through us as a church body. I love how we corporately pray for birthdays and anniversaries like, like Rachel did this morning. And how celebrating these milestones has shifted, actually shifted to a time of reflection and praise for God and what God has done through our people. And as we'll do shortly, I love how we praise God by celebrating the Lord's Supper together each week. It's so great to shout these praises to God together. So as we look at how we can be relational with one another, here's a couple of applications. First, would you be devoted to prayer for the people of this local church body? I can't overemphasize this. Would you be devoted to prayer for the people of this local church body? We get the privilege of praying corporately and personally for each other's spiritual growth and maturity. We, so continue to lean into the hardship of one another as I've seen us do so well and keep praying for each other. And if you need help in any way, ask for it. We live in this culture where asking for help is hard and many, many people are afraid to do it. Ask for help. Ask for help. That's one of the main blessings of being in Christian community together. And in most cases, guess what? It actually ends up blessing the person helping more than the person being helped. And if we look back at the passage, we want to be a people that share what we have as anyone has a need. So please ask for help. Also, invite someone you don't know that well from our church body over for dinner. If you don't know someone well, invite them over for dinner. Share your stories of how you came to faith with one another. Celebrate and praise God for that. And pray for one another while you're there. It's a huge blessing and encouragement to be able to do that. Okay, so a thriving Christian community is biblical and studies the word of God together. It's relational and supports one another and shouts praises to God together. Finally, a thriving Christian community is purposeful. Okay, so our wayside, our purposeful value stated this way. It's going to pop up here. Living on God's mission, this is about partnering with other Christians to fulfill the mission of the church by bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to everyone, both locally and globally. Okay, so the fourth S, the final S, a thriving Christian community spreads the good news of Jesus Christ. What's the good news of Jesus Christ? We are all broken in our sin. We're all broken in our sin. But God sent his son Jesus to earth to live a perfect life and die for our sins. He was raised to life, and anyone who believes in him 
will have eternal life. As a church, we want to be devoted to sharing the hope found in Jesus. So let's look at verses 46 and 47 again. It says this, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. In verse 46, it says the new believers were going daily to the temple. Yeah, they went to worship God, but participation at the temple, this is really important, put them in contact with a large numbers of, uh, of non-believers, a large number of non-believers to whom they could witness for Christ. Okay, this was their mission field. Going to the temple was their mission field. A thriving Christian community extends itself in two directions, toward God and toward neighbor. And did you catch what it said in, in verse 47? It says they had favor with all the people. They had favor with all the people. This isn't just the other Christians. This is everyone. They were well thought of by outsiders who saw what was happening, and they were amazed, and they respected it. Now, as we'll see later in Acts, and most of you know this, it wouldn't last, and this would soon turn to persecution. But as they were living in this way, people took notice, and they admired it. And this should challenge us. Friends, friends, when non-believers see how biblical community is done, shouldn't there be a love here that the world envies? Shouldn't there be a generosity here that the world is surprised by? Shouldn't there be a sweetness of fellowship here that the world struggles to understand? Others outside our community, especially non-Christians, should see something different in the way we interact, in the way we treat one another, and it should give us favor, just like these early believers. And it's important to note that we're not the ones that are saving people. We're not the ones saving people. Verse 47 says, The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's God who saves. But he has given us a role to play. He's given us a role to play. We saw this back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It said this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We're called to share the gospel with people who don't know Christ. We're called to be witnesses to the world. We're called to be witnesses to the world. And what's the world? Our world is our homes. Our world is our workplaces. Our world is our neighborhoods. Our world is our coffee shops. And yes, it could be unreached people groups on the other side of the earth. We're called to be witnesses, and then God does what he does. 1 Corinthians 3.6 says this. It says, I, this is Paul speaking, I, Paul, planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So it's going to be God that does the saving, okay? So most of you know our great church partner in Frankfurt, Church in Action. We've been to visit them a couple times. They've been to visit us a couple times. I love that they take church to the places where non-believers are. They go to restaurants. They go to coffee shops, they go to theaters, they go to refugee homes, and they lock arms as a community to do this. Similar to these new believers, I just kind of see them locking arms and walking to the temple every single day. A thriving Christian community is devoted to coming alongside one another to share the gospel with the lost. And Skip Heitzig is a, a pastor in Albuquerque, and, and he had this really simple yet profound quote. It said, our witness, W-I-T-H dash N-E-S-S, withness will enhance our witness. Our witness will enhance 
our witness. I love that quote. Simple and, and just really powerful. Okay, so application, as you know, we have this goal to grab someone in our life that isn't a believer and read the Bible with them sometime this winter. So first of all, please pray and ask God who that could be. Maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's the barista at Starbucks. Once God's put that person on your heart, ask them to read the Bible with you. Ask them to read the Bible with you. Invite them to do the women's devotional with you or to read the Christmas story in Luke 2. And if you feel more comfortable, grab someone from our body to do it with you. If you feel more comfortable, grab someone from our body to do it with you. Again, our witness will enhance our witness. Okay, friends, so we see God's beautiful purposes for the church in this passage today, in this first community of believers. They were a community that was passionate about studying God's word together. They supported one another in all ways, helping each other with any needs they had. They praised God together by praying, singing, and sharing meals. And they wanted to share their new faith and the love of Jesus with others that didn't have a relationship with him. And get this, the result, God added to their number day by day. And you know what, friends? These are still God's beautiful purposes for his church. And I've been so encouraged in going through this passage that, that God has gifted Wayside with many of these beautiful characteristics. Again, we certainly aren't perfect. But I have seen you all studying God's word together. I have seen you all supporting one another in victory and in hardship. I have seen you all shouting praises to God, and I've seen you all spreading the good news of Jesus to those you love. And by God's grace, I have seen God add believers to his body, and I trust that he will continue to add more. God is certainly at work in our community. So along that line, I'll conclude with this quote from, from Francis Chan. I found this really interesting quote by Francis Chan. He said, For years, I did not have peace when I read the book of Acts. I did not have peace when I read the book of Acts. The level of unity, the level of commitment, the level of power that the early church displayed was so different from my Christian experience. People tried to explain why this could not take place today. Yet the more I studied the scriptures the more I became convinced that it must take place today. I'm grateful that I did not back down because I'm finally experiencing it. I'm sharing the gospel alongside some radical followers of Christ, and it reminds me of what I read about in Scripture. The unity we share looks like what I read about in Acts, and we have experienced God's power leaving us with a feeling of awe, similar to which, that which accompanied the believers in Acts 2. So friends, as we read this passage, like Francis Chan said in this quote years ago, we could be tempted to despair at how we fall short of this picture. But I want to encourage us to praise God for what he has done. And as Francis Chan said in that quote, we have experienced God's power. And I hope that leaves us with a feeling of awe. But I also want to challenge us too to continue to pursue God's purposes for his church together together, specifically to study the Word of God together, to support one another, to shout praises to God together, and to spread the gospel. A thriving Christian community is essential for a thriving Christian life. So I just want to conclude by thanking you all so much for being a part of this community and for bringing your unique contributions to this beautiful picture of the church that we have 
here at Wayside. It truly is a gift to do life and to be on mission together. So I'm so thankful for all of you. Next week, uh, Ben will look at chapter 3, where Peter heals a lame beggar and again shares this beautiful, clear picture of the gospel with the onlookers. Let's pray together.